This podcast is a production of America Matters Media. Explore more episodes of this show and other great shows on the America Matters Media Podcast Network by visiting americamatters.us. Be sure to subscribe and leave a review at your favorite place to download podcasts. The views expressed in this show do not necessarily represent those of the company or its advertisers, although we think they should. But that's the opinion of America Matters Media. Welcome to this evening's episode of Rush Hour. I am your host, Kelly Rush, and we are a production of America Matters Media, the home of quality conversation. You can check us out on the web at americamatters.us. That's americamatters.us, and we are also on Facebook at facebook.com slash Hour. That is also my Twitter handle, so you can follow me there and like me on the Reno Rush Hour Facebook page. And this is an interactive program. You can uh, call us toll-free from anywhere in the world, 844-790-TALK. That's 844- 4-4-7-9-0-82-55, and uh, or message us on the um, Facebook comments uh, box <laughs> watch party thing. I've got all this. I had to reboot the computer because there was no uh, connection, so I had to get that all going again and all that stuff. So uh, I've got a special guest today, and uh, this is Rick Cornell. He has a show with us. He is a wonderful appellate attorney here in Reno in northern Nevada. You're also, are you duly licensed in uh, California as well? Well, I was, but I I let it go. Uh, uh, Too much weird stuff going on on the other side of the border for me. And and I shouldn't say more, so I won't. But uh, (laughs) I've got plenty enough to do as it is. And I do uh, appear before the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals in the federal system, and that's in San Francisco. Sure. Right. So I'm I'm not totally divorced from California. Gotcha. And um, so you also have uh, a show here with Bill Kendall and Todd Torvenin every right. Tuesday from noon to one called State Your Case. And that's a lot of fun. You, yeah. I love that show. And uh, you guys have um, such a great time kicking around all different kinds of uh, different cases, scenarios, uh, just... Uh, current events, you know, as it pertains to the law and legality and just general, um, you know. Yeah, the show's really morphed. Um, You know, it started off with us talking about our practices and and issues and problems that we see day to day, but it's kind of morphed into a free-for-all discussion on uh, issues that, that are currently involved nationwide and sometimes locally mm-hmm. and uh, we all throw in our three cents worth based on the laws we know it to be although uh, a lot of times what the law is in Nevada is not going to be the same as the law in say Alabama uh, so but you know it's yeah it's a lot of fun it's 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 it's, a, it's an intellectual exercise for me certainly I enjoy it a lot and I enjoy Bill and Todd they're great guys yeah they're and really very good are. lawyers too it, Excellent, excellent. And uh, Todd does uh, family law and trust law and things right. like that. Right, right. And Bill, uh, personal injury. That's personal right. Personal injury. And uh, so, yeah, all excellent at what they do. So, um, and you are here today to discuss primarily um, a show that you're putting on because you are also a very talented uh, singer 
and uh, musician. Yeah, well, as, as you can tell from my speaking voice, I'm a bass baritone, and indeed, that's what's happening. Um, I'm doing a one-person show, or really two, me and the accompanist, and we're doing this on February 8, which is a Saturday, uh, at 7.30 p.m. at the Unitarian Universalist Fellowship of Northern Nevada, which is down on Del Monte. I think it's 8.30 Del Monte. If you take that roundabout that goes to Neal Road, you don't go this far as Neal Road. You go to Del Monte, and it's the second building on the left. And uh, what I'm doing is a show called The Real Fabulous 50s, well, 1947 to 1963. And what I'm doing on my own is singing a wide number of genres uh, in American non-classical music. I maintain that that 16-year period is when American non-classical music exploded. And we saw the kind of creativity in music that we have not seen before, and in my opinion, we have not seen since. But in that 16 years, we saw it. We think of the real, you know, the fabulous 50s is when rock and roll was born, and yeah, that's certainly true, it was. But not just that, that was the era when country music exploded. If you saw that documentary on PBS, the, the Ken Burns on country music, you know that to be so. It's also the era where folk music exploded. It was at its height. It was also an era where jazz exploded. It was arguably at its height. Um, certainly, it, it went into more directions in that 16 years than any other time in its history. Uh, it also was a period where international song was huge, uh, and, and I'll be singing about that. And, of course, this was the era of the Rat Pack. You know, uh, we've never seen anything like the Rat Pack since then. I mean, think about this. You have a marquee at the Sands or the Aladdin or the Frontier that says, Tonight, Dean, you know, maybe Frank, maybe Sammy, the three most influential singers of their time on one stage at one time. Can you imagine tonight, this now, a marquee in Vegas at, at uh, oh, you pick at Wins Las Vegas or Caesars. This is tonight. Bruno, maybe Pitbull, right. maybe Drake. Right. Probably not. Genuine, right? Yeah, yeah, impossible. Right. You wouldn't right. see it. But in those days, you did. And it was yeah, also the era. Boy bands were as close as we get nowadays. Yeah. yeah. Know, back, I mean, and that was 20 years ago, even. Yeah, that's true. Uh, and, and it was the era of some of the greatest love songs ever written. Um, you know, <laughs> something a little better than Tina's Got a Big Old Butt, I swear right. I'd be true. So I'm leaving you. Yeah, a little more tender than that. I mean, yeah, it, it I, really was a time. Of I got just, the roly and I'm in the. Yeah. <laughs> it was just Mambo. a time of, of great, great music. And uh, I'm going to try to cover it all in a mere hour and a half. That will not be easy, but by golly, I'm, I'm going to do it. No medleys? Uh, oh, yeah. That's the only way to do it. I've got several medleys in this. Uh, for example, a Patsy Cline medley. You know, mm. I'm going to do uh, Walking After Midnight, I Fall to Pieces and Crazy in one medley, you know. Nice. But if you're going to cover Patsy Cline, by golly, I think that's the way to do it. And, uh, oh, a, a, a medley from the Brill Building in New York City for rock and roll. That's That's a real interesting story. In fact, researching this i found an awful lot of real interesting stories about this music which you know i'm happy to share in, in the next segment of the show but anyway the show's going to be february 8 at 7 30 15 bucks in advance or 20 bucks at the door 
Very cool. Well, we will be right back uh, after these messages with Kelly Rush and Rick Cornell talking about uh, Rick's show coming up on February 8th after these messages. Stay tuned. Want to expand your advertising dollar? Sponsor this or any America Matters program by calling 775-827-8900, extension 2. Now back to the show. And welcome back to the second segment of today's Rush Hour. I am your host, Kelly Rush, and I am with Rick Cornell of the Papra Group, which is really a wonderful, wonderful organization. And Rick is putting on his own one-man show, The Fabulous 50s, well, 1947 to 1963, coming up next Saturday, February 8th, and it's happening at the Unitarian Universalist Fellowship of Northern Nevada, and uh, that's at 7.30, and uh, tickets will be available at the door, but you can get them in advance. Rick, what's that phone number? Uh, The phone number is area code 775-233-5105. If you call, if you order them in advance... Uh, it's 15 bucks. If you wait to pay at the door, it's 20 So save 5 bucks. order in advance. You can also do that through the, the Popper website, which is poppernv.org. Oh, okay. And yeah. I'll put that too. And um, so what made you cover that particular era, 47 to 63? That's kind of odd. It, it is odd, but there's a connection, and, and it's this. Well, first off, the idea came to me because I've been a, a prominent and f- featured soloist with Popra ever since we started in late 2014, and I found that the solos that I was doing, except for shows that are era-specific, like we do a show on the 80s, obviously I'm going to sing a song from the 80s, uh, where it wasn't era-specific, I kept picking songs from this era, and I thought, well, I'm a child of the 50s, I'm picking songs from the fabulous 50s, apparently, but when I would study when they were written and when they were performed, I thought, no, actually, it's 1947 to 1963, and I started thinking, I said, is there a reason for that? Is there a connection? And I thought about it, said, yeah, there actually is. Think about those two years and what bookends them, both musically and politically. Musically, it was the rise of Tin Pan Alley post-World War II to just before the Beatles and the other Brits invaded America, you know, ended up on, on Ed Sullivan and really changed the face of American music in the process. Politically, 1947 and 1963 is the rise of the Cold War post-World War II to JFK's assassination at the end of 63. And when you think about it, what happened in between? What happened in between was a lot of paranoia, a lot of fear, a lot of angst, existential angst. Think about this. This was the era where, and I was born in 1952, so I remember it very well, as will any listener who was born around that time. When you went to school, no matter where you went to school, you had to learn duck for cover drills. Mm-hmm. Get under your desk and, and put your hands at the base of your neck. Duck because the Russians may drop the bomb on your little rural school in, <laughs> in the plains of Kansas or northern Ohio. And is that going to save your life? Well, they didn't tell us otherwise. Or if your parents didn't have one, somebody down the street did in your neighborhood, a, a fallout shelter. You know, complete with about two weeks of potable water, <laughs> corned beef hash, Vienna wieners, and spam. Yeah. And now, are you is that are you going to be able to outlast nuclear fallout with that? Well, they didn't tell us otherwise, right? Mm-hmm. But I mean, it was an era of of that kind of fear and that kind of angst. And I maintain that what happened as a result when you're in that 
frame of mind is you tend to listen to people. You know, we learn an awful lot by listening, not so much by talking, right? And and when we listen to people and we're able, willing to co-opt ideas a little more, and I think that's what happened. When you look at rock and roll, what did that? What was that? That came out of oh, a bunch of different traditions, rhythm and blues primarily. Mm -hmm. uh, you look at jazz. Where did that come from? Kind of the same thing. Uh, country. Country music today has a very distinct sound. Back then, not so much. They were searching for the sound, and they were willing to borrow from gospel and rockabilly and, and bluegrass and, and uh, folk and so forth. In fact, did you know that the number one folk song, folk uh, album in 1959 was the Kingston Trio? I mean, country album. The Kingston Trio, they didn't have a category for for, for folk at that point. That was the number one song, country album, the Kingston Trio. Anyway, during this area, you, you sensed that there was an awful lot of creativity going on. Musicians trying to find the right sound, trying to borrow from other genres, trying to see what works. Classic example, 1955, uh, Eddie Arnold in Country writes the best song about unrequited love ever, You Don't Know Me. Who picks that up in 1962 and makes it a number one hit? A soul singer, Ray Charles. Rhythm, you know, you mix rhythm and blues and country. I mean, imagine that today. I, I understand that that has happened, and somehow there was a, a song or a piece of music that had a meld of rap and country. I don't think it did really well, but yet here in 1962, in the height of the civil rights movement, we can have a mix of soul and country, and it goes to number one. Uh, I think that that was the kind of thing that was going on then, and that was why. And, you know, you can agree or disagree, but I, what I don't think you can disagree on is this was an era where American non-classical music just exploded. And, and you know, think of jazz. We went from, from bop, to hard bop, to post bop, to modal, to free jazz, all in that 16-year period. Uh, jazz transformed itself that much. Um, international, uh, you think of so many examples of, of foreign songs that came over here and became Americanized. Uh, I'm going to do four of them. I'll give you an example. I'm going to do the Mexican song, Quien Sera. You know what song that is? Mm -mm. Sway. You know, when marimba rhythms start to play, oh. dance with me. Yeah, that was originally oh. a Mexican song uh, called Quien Sera. And now one I'm not going to sing, but here's a classic example. De Fille Mort. De Fille Mort. You know what that song is? It sounds French. It is. Autumn Leaves. Oh. Autumn Leaves was originally a French song that, that came across here and Johnny Mercer added the lyrics and becomes one of the most covered standards in, of all in the great American songbook. But I mean, this was the kind of thing that was going on in that era, and I don't think it's going on now, and, and hasn't in a while, that, that we were willing to co-opt music from overseas. Uh, well, another classic example, one that I'm doing, Garota di Panima, okay, you mm -hmm. know what that is. Oh, yeah. Well, that song started the bossa nova craze and of course gets gilberto was the best-selling jazz album of all time and that happened in the early 60s 1962 and 63 
uh, interesting story about that one is uh, uh, when Stan Getz decided he wanted to record a bunch of Car Antonio Carlos Jobim songs and went to Rio, his problem was he didn't speak Portuguese and the musicians that he was playing with, Lorindo Almeida and Jobim and the rest, didn't speak English. How are they going to do this? Well, Astrud Gilberto, who was the great Joao Gilberto's wife, happened to be bilingual. And when they played Garalta de Ipanema, Getz was bowled over. He was transfixed and said, well, what does that mean? She translated, and he loved it so much, he said, let's record it and keep the translation and have Joao Gilberto uh, sing the first voice, you know, in Portuguese, and then she came in with the second verse tall and tan and young and lovely and and so forth and that's how that recording came to be so this kind of stuff was going on during this era and uh, it was just just marvelous really mm -hmm. um how how that happened and like i say the uh, the the love songs that went on in this time uh, you know uh, there are musicologists say, oh, no, no, the, the time of the best love songs was before that in the 30s and 40s, you know, when you had uh, Gersh, the Gershwins and Irving Berlin and Richard Rodgers and Jerome Kern and so forth. Yeah, probably so, but even so, in the 50s, uh, there are just some great love songs that, that were done, and I'll, I'll do actually four of them, two, two in a medley. Uh, one, the number one song, The Year of My Birth, which was You Belong to Me, sung by Joe Stafford, if you remember that one. One that's a medley of two of the greatest love songs ever, which is Harry Warren's The More I See You and uh, Sammy Kahn's All the Way, which he wrote for Sinatra and became one of the Sinatra's signature songs. And then, to me, the greatest love song ever, and what's amazing about this is it was written by a guy named Eden Abaz. You probably never heard of Eden Abaz. Nobody's heard of Eden Abbas. He was the original one-hit wonder, and he wrote the song. It was Nature Boy, which, by the way, I think the best cover of Nature Boy ever was by David Bowie <laughs> in the movie Moulin Rouge. I, I think that's the, the gold standard for that song. But, I mean, uh, it was huge in, in the fabulous 50s, and, of course, it was a Nat King Cole song uh, during that time. So... You know, uh, that's the thing with this concert is exploring all that and and hopefully demonstrating not only that this was uh, the best, most creative era of music, but why that may have been so. So that's that's the show in a nutshell, I guess you could say, for, for a little over an hour and a half. Neat. Yeah. Neat. That's kind of like a cultural tour. Well, I, you know, that's what I intended it intended to be uh, is exactly that of course i'll end up with rock and roll and i'll finish the show with the song that simon cowell <laughs> no less says is the greatest song ever written really? and it came from german opera well why don't you hold on to that i'll hold on to that so let you people can listen, listen. and find out the answer there you go let our <laughs> listeners hang through the break and uh, give them a little cliffhanger there yeah and i can also tell you the famous Elvis song that's really a borrowed version of one of the great Italian art songs ever written. Interesting. You'll find that one out, too. Very <laughs> and cool. And I'll sing it, of course. Of course. Well, we will be back for the second half of today's Rush Hour with Kelly Rush from Cornell. After these messages, please stay tuned.
Unable to listen to the whole show? A recording of today's program will be available later today. Visit americamatters.us and click on the podcast link. Now back to the show. And welcome back to the second half of today's Rush Hour. I am your host, Kelly Rush, and I am with Rick Cornell. And uh, Rick, you are an appellate attorney here in town, and you are also a performer with Popra, which is uh, a local performing group here in town. And you are putting on a show on February 8th. Uh, It's a one-man show that uh, is called The Fabulous 50s, well, 1947 to 1963. And it's kind of a cultural musical tour. And uh, it's uh, you've been telling us about that, and it's fascinating. And you said uh, there's a kind of a surprise there. Well, yeah. Uh, in in researching this, I've discovered a number of interesting things. Now, I had mentioned the song that Simon Cowell thinks is the greatest song ever written. It goes back to German opera. Uh, the opera was the Three Penny Opera. And the song, as originally sung by Lotta Lenya, was a very dreary, doleful tune. By the way, you may remember Lotta Lenya. Do you remember her from Russia with Love? Mm-hmm. The first bond? She was she was the red-haired gal with the, the knives and the shoes. Uh-huh. Yeah, that was Lotta Lenya. Oh, I gotcha. And she was married to, I think it was Bertolt Brecht. Or, no, no, Kurt Weil. It was Brecht and Weil who, who wrote the, the opera. Anyway... Uh, 30-some-odd years later, it came to America, although actually Louis Armstrong was the one who really uh, turned it from dreary and doleful to something much more upbeat. And then in 1959, Bobby Darin got a hold of the song and made it the most finger-snapping song ever to a ode to a stone-cold sociopath. <laughs> it was Mac the Knife. And that Mac the Knife is what Simon Cowell thinks is the greatest song ever written. Wow. Interesting. Huh? Interesting. And, and I said, and I'm, and I'm doing also Elvis Presley's It's Now or Never. Now, uh, he sold 20 million records with that recording in 1960, and I'm sure you know the song. But what you may not know, but you will know after I get done with it, is that song is actually the most famous Italian art song recast to a rumba beat. Hmm. Yeah, you have any idea what it is? <clears throat> it's now or never is oh. also Oh, sole mio. Oh, yeah, sure. how about that? How, how, about, that? how about that? And uh, all kinds of things. Uh, here's another one. Who is the only singer in our history who was inducted into the Country Music Hall of Fame, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, and the Gospel Music Hall of Fame. You have any idea? You're thinking hard. The Man in Black. Oh, sure. <laughs> and and I'll do a Johnny Cash, too, because, you know, you can't cover this era without referencing Johnny Cash. I'll, I'll do I Walk the Line. Um, and, uh, oh, here, here's another little tidbit. I'll open the, song, the show a little bit out of the era with... A Tom Lehrer song, uh, So Long Mom, his ode to World War III, done in George M. Cohan style. Now, we haven't heard from Tom Lehrer in a while. I mean, he was huge in the real fabulous 50s, and he actually he performed all the way up to about 1972. And then he retired. You know what he did after he retired? He was a mathematics professor at UC Santa Cruz. Huh. <laughs> so, yeah, you'll... you'll Learn all kinds of fascinating little uh, facts like that. What is the greatest selling Italian song in history? 
and uh, uh, I'll sing it. And, and the reason it's the greatest is even though Dean Martin made a monster hit out of it, the original has actually sold more worldwide than Dean Martin's version did. You know what song I'm referencing? Volare. Oh, sure. Yeah. It was written by Domenico Modugno, and actually they brought him out to America, and he performed it on, on uh, Ed Sullivan. And if you go on YouTube, you can find it. Domenico Modugno singing his song to American audiences on Ed Sullivan. So, uh, yeah, like I say, all kinds of fascinating little factoids like that that you'll you'll see, hear, and learn in this show. You know, I try to do these that uh, they're interesting in that way, you know, a little bit educational as well as entertaining. I think that's part of being entertained, you know, is learning stuff like that that you may not have known beforehand. So that's what I'm going to do or or try to do. Uh, You know, I I, I can't reference rock and roll without referencing doo-wop. You know, but that's hard to do with one singer because doo-wop is basically a lead singer and a bunch of backup singing harmony. But I came up with one, and it was the main song in in, uh, the movie American Graffiti. In fact, young Ron Howard and young Cindy Williams Mm -hmm. danced cheek to cheek on the night, last night of high school to this song. You know which one it is? Uh, (laughs) Since I Don't Have You by Jimmy Beaumont and the Skyliners. Wow. So, yep, uh, all all of that good stuff. and some of this I have covered in Papra before. Um, for example, five years ago, uh, we had a show based on Masquerade. Uh, and with everybody else doing Masquerade and this Masquerade and so forth, I decided to do something a little different. And I, I did the song, The Masquerade is Over, uh, which was a main song on Nancy Wilson's album with Cannonball Adderley, which jazz singers voted as the best vocal jazz album of all time. But this song, to me, fits perfectly with with Lady Day's Good Morning Heartache, so I do a a medley of those two songs together. And there are others that I have done. Um, uh, La Vie en Rose, we did a French uh, show, and I sang that one. But uh, a lot of these I'm doing for the first time. Uh, Popper itself uh, does four dinner shows a year plus a Christmas show. So really five dinner shows a year. And we pick different themes for each show. We, we perform currently at uh, the Napa Sonoma restaurant over in, uh, oh, I forget what the name of the shopping center is there on South Virginia and Longley. Uh, it's in, in, in oh, the restaurant. Winter's Crossing. Winter's Crossing, that's the one. And in the, where the old Austin's restaurant used to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, that's where we perform. Uh, and, you know, we perform to audiences of like 60, but we do two shows uh, a gig, and we're getting to the point where they're selling out fast. So if you've never seen one of our shows and you enjoy this kind of music, you're really going to want to come see it, but you're going to want to get there. Er- you're going to want to book your ticket early because they're selling out fast. Uh, in fact, this year we're doing a Broadway show. For the first time, we're going to add a third show. Uh, just to see what happens. I, I think that with that kind of theme, we can find 180 people uh, willing to pay uh, the money to see the show and eat dinner at the Napa Soma restaurant, which is a good restaurant. Oh, it's so good. Yeah, yeah, and and very reasonably priced for yeah. what you get. So anyway, um, yeah, that's, that's what we do, and we do fundraisers. 
besides that, and uh, uh, we're basically able to make the money to pay the bills. But it's been an education for me. Uh, I was president of, of the board of directors of Sierra Music Society, which is the 501c3 corporation that runs it, and I finally decided to step down so that our very talented and capable vice president could ascend to the presidency. But it's been an education for me on, on how to run a nonprofit arts organization. Mm-hmm. I mean, you don't just say, hey, uh, we're going to, we're we're a bunch of overgrown kids who want to do a show and take it to Broadway. <laughs> it's infinitely more complex than that, and uh, it's been a, an interesting education to see just how complicated it is. But bottom line is, we formed in uh, November of '14, and we're still going strong, and uh, uh, we are not in the red. We can keep going for a little while longer. So. Yeah, and that's impressive. I mean, it's, you know, any kind of fundraising is difficult. Oh, yeah. Well, when uh, you're depending on the, you know, the generosity of, you know, it, of, of your peers. It's just, it's. Well, and, and what the way we formed is uh, originally we were the Nevada Opera Chorus. And the Nevada Opera Chorus appeared to us to be dying and refusing to admit it in 2014, which is why we split off and formed uh, Popra. Then it officially died in 2016. But, you know, there, there are a lot of people out there in the era who, area who miss it, mm-hmm. us included. Mm-hmm. And, and we will do an opera piece or two in these shows, but they really are eclectic. The name Popra says it all. It's from right. Pop to Opera. And uh, so if we have a show about drinking songs, uh, we may do the Brindisi from La Traviata or... Uh, when we did that show, uh, I may do many the mooch. <laughs> you know, whatever, yeah. whatever works. It's a real broad array of, of musical styles, but uh, uh, thus far, it's working. And you know, uh, who knows? May, maybe opera will return to northern Nevada. A lot of things would have to happen for that to be so, but. Sure. Well, I mean, you never know. This area is growing well, so much, and that, you know we, that's why we have the Pioneer Center with with the acoustics it has, where we can bring in opera, you know, on occasion if we if we want to, and sure. then if there comes a time where there's a call for it more permanently, then we have that ability. Well, so. yeah, the, you know, the I don't know if you've seen any of the Broadway comes to Reno shows, but the technicians do such a fantastic job with those. I mean, they really do. And I mean, I just saw the we one. We have talent. We have venues. We have, you know. Yeah, and and those shows sell out way in advance. Sure. Uh, you know, give them a good product and build it, and they will come. Well, you that know? you know, that's well, and that's the beauty of a a town like Reno. We don't need it full time. We don't need it all the time. We have the capability, you know, to bring it in and make it a special event, you know, make it an exclusive thing and do it from time to time. Yeah. And you then know, there's Art Town. And we're town. not saturated. And then we have Art Town. For which, a whole month. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, we, we do it right here. We do it right. Yeah. Uh, so. I mean, it's one of the things that you can be proud about when you call us the biggest little city. Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. this is the kind of thing that a city may do. Uh, but here we are. We've been doing this since we were a city of 40,000 people. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, do it right, don't overdo it. Yeah, that's and it. And then, you know, we keep our we keep our essence. Yeah. So, 
We've got to go to another break. We'll be back for the fourth and final segment of today's Rush Hour with Kelly Rush and my special guest, Rick Cornell of Popra, after these messages. Stay tuned. To join the conversation, call 844-790-TALK. That's 844-790-8255. Now back to the show. And welcome back to the fourth and final segment of today's Rush Hour. I am your host, Kelly Rush, and my special guest today is Rick Cornell. And uh, Rick Cornell is a lawyer. He is a uh, preeminent lawyer, actually, of 40 years here practicing in northern Nevada of uh, doing appellate uh, law of all different kinds. And uh, you are also a, a writer, yeah, I've written a couple of novels. I wish I had more time to do it, but uh, I wrote one called I Am That Fool that actually got a Next Generation Indie Book Award. That was pretty cool. Then the second novel, which I like better, but uh, the critics didn't, which was called 2051, <laughs> where I predicted the election of Donald Trump in kind of a joking way. That's funny. I know, never thinking it would happen, and here we are. Anyway. So tell me kind of your whole kind of life trajectory where are you originally from and how did you end up here are you a nevada native well uh no you may if you've got a really keen ear you might be able to tell where i'm from i'm, I'm originally from the midwest mm-hmm. uh, i grew up in a small town in ohio solon ohio actually mm-hmm. uh, and when i was growing up i can remember as four years old uh, pilfering my older brother's records and listening to things like caravan and 16 tons and Joe Stafford singing Jambalaya and, and of course, every Kingston Trio record ever made. But anyway, uh, I moved to California, uh, to the Bay Area, to be more precise, when I was 13. And I grew up in Lafayette, California from there and graduated from high school. Then I went to college at UC Irvine down in Orange County, graduated from there and went back to the Bay Area and went to law school at USF in San Francisco and got my law degree there. And uh, I, end, I ended up in Nevada really by accident in 1978. I, my first job in San Francisco was a disaster, and they fired me, and there I was scrambling to try and find work. And the placement officer at USF said, well, there's a, I'm sure she said Nevada, there's a Nevada uh-huh. lawyer named Harry Claiborne who just got appointed to the bench, send him a resume. And I did, and I was very lucky. I happened on several counts. Number one, Harry Claiborne wasn't one who liked to interview. Mine happened to be at the top of the stack, so he called me up and said, you're hired, which was really nice because at that point my confidence was so shot that if he had actually done anything like an interview, I probably would have made like David Letterman and given him the top ten reasons not to hire me, you know. Anyway, uh, uh, he started in Reno, and I was his first law clerk, and for anybody listening who's tied into any Nevada history from that time, he was an extremely colorful and very controversial judge. He was one who was indicted in the 80s, went to trial, was a hung jury, uh, went back to trial, was convicted of tax evasion, and went to prison, and he was impeached and removed from office. And... Uh, he was my favorite. It was my favorite job. What a guy! I mean, he it was amazing. But anyway, uh, that took me to Vegas for a year and a half, and a year and a half of Vegas was enough to convince me to come back to Reno. So I did. It was certainly enough to convince my ex-wife to come back to Reno, and she told me that I was welcome to join 
her and our son then, so we did. And uh, I've been up here since 1980. Uh, I started in the DA's office for a little over a year, and then I worked for a little over five years for Bill Raggio in his firm, and then I went out on my own, and I've been a sole practitioner since December of 1986. So uh, what's that, 33 years and counting that I've been mm -hmm. on my own? Yeah. Uh, but as far as singing goes, I mean, I sang in junior high, sang in high school, uh, had several, you know, lead roles in, in our operettas or our school plays, you know, almost straight out of glee, right? And then I went to college, and actually one of the, one of the, the musicals that we did was The Music Man, and at that time my voice hadn't developed uh, to where it is today and so I sang in the barbershop quartet <laughs> in in that and I was the second tenor and we were really good I mean we had four really good singers and that got me going on barbershopping and I, and I will t say this because I did that for until 1990 you know as corny as you may think that art form is there is no oh, better I love there is no better uh, artistic venue for a singer than that for for really learning how to listen to everybody around you and learning pitch you have to be exactly on 880 cycles per second when you sing an a or or be a little bit off if the others are a little bit off you you've got to be exactly right and it was great training for him. I mean it really was anyway I, I sang in the the local symphonic choir that's now the Philharmonic choir for a few years and then uh, my ex-wife can uh, encourage me actually to try out for the opera course and boom they hired me or you know I made it and uh, uh, I got to over the years I got to sing a good number of uh, roles with the Nevada Opera which was great uh, you know like the, the commendatory and Don Giovanni for example wow what an experience that was or Baron Dufault and La Traviata, what a tremendous experience oh, that I was. And, and the light operas get to sing uh, uh, Dick Deadeye in HMS Pinafore with funny role, and uh, 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 Samuel in the Pirates of Penzance, great role. Yeah, it was, it was a lot of fun. But then, like I say, uh, I said earlier, Nevada Opera died really unofficially in 2014, officially in 2016. And uh, we went over to, to Popper, and actually I liked that format because I liked the, the flexibility and the freedom to, to pick songs, you know, like, like the ones that are, I'm doing in this show. Um, and, uh, in fact, I'll tell you the story of one, and I'll sing it for you if you'd like. Mm -hmm. Of course you'd like. Yeah, sure. no. Um, very interesting song. This is a true folk song. You all know this song, but you don't, may not know the backstory. It was a song that just appeared and developed by a bunch of anonymous coal miners in the Appalachians, you know, in Kentucky and West Virginia and so forth. And, and uh, then in 1946, a country singer named Merle Travis copywrote it. And he could get away with that because he added a uh, two-line lyric that are the most memorable in the song. St. Peter, don't you call me because I can't go. I owe my soul to the company store. You know what that mm. referenced? 
the coal mine companies at that time were so corrupt that when they paid these miners for 12 hours of work a day and black lung disease decides, mm -hmm. they didn't pay them in negotiable U.S. dollars. They paid them in script, script that could only be negotiated where? At their company mm -hmm. store. And believe me, they didn't have Costco prices mm -hmm. there. Uh, you wonder why the United Mine Workers came to be. That was one reason. Mm -hmm. In any event... Uh, uh, the song, even though it was copywritten and sung by Merle Travis, wasn't super huge. And then somehow it got the attention of a Bristol, Tennessee DJ named Tennessee Ernie Ford oh. and became the finger-popping song that, that uh, sold 20 million <laughs> copies in uh, 1955 and thereabouts. And it's a perfect song for a bass baritone like me who can do Some people say a man is made out of mud A poor man's made out of muscle and blood Muscle and blood and skin and bones A mind that's weak and a back that's strong He's loading 16 tons What do you get? Another day older and deeper in debt. St. Peter, don't you call me cause I can't go. I owe my soul to the company store. Oh, there's our sounding. Oh, enough of this, enough of this. Slow no, down. that's great. That's <laughs> so, great. yeah, I'll, 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 uh, I'll do that one. You know, so many interesting stories. One that I'm going to do is Goodnight Irene. Mm -hmm. Uh that was done in 1950. It was the number one song in 1950. It was done by a group called the Weavers. You've probably never heard of the Weavers, but you've heard of their main guy, who was Pete Seeger, mm -hmm. okay, the champion for social justice. And this song was not written by Seeger or any of them. It was written by Hudie Ledbetter, probably an unfamiliar name to you. His nickname you may know, Leadbelly. And in fact, what happened was the two curators of American folk music were brothers, John and Alan Lomax. They heard a lead belly. They went to see him in the Angola State Prison in Louisiana, where he was doing time for manslaughter. They recorded it somehow. They got the recording out. They sent it to the governor of Louisiana, who gave lead belly a pardon on account of the song. However, uh, Leadbelly died in 1949, and the song went to number one in 1950. Uh, there's so many stories like that out sure. there. just breaks your heart. But, you know, uh, that's America for you. It's Americana. So, yeah. anyway, uh, that's another one. And I'll sing that song and uh, have the audience sing along with me in real hootenanny style, right? <laughs> so... It's going to be a fun show. Uh, now you've heard all the punchlines, but come and see it anyway. It's uh, uh, Saturday, February 8th at 7.30 at the Unitarian Church in Reno, 8.30 Del Monte Lane in Reno. Yep, and tickets are available at poparanv.org, poparanv.org. And uh, again, like Rick said, um, this is the fabulous 50s, well, 1947 to 1963. And it's uh, next Saturday, February 8th, and uh, at 7.30. And uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. Rick's shows are great. I got to see, I got to take my mom uh, to see him and uh, two of his colleagues perform a uh, Sinatra extravaganza and that was a complete blast so uh, Rick is quite a character and a wonderful wonderful performer you you, you heard just a, a little bit there a little tease and uh, it just gets better from there so uh, he'll be on Oliver X's show tomorrow 
Yep. Is that right? A, a week from Friday. A week. A week from tomorrow. From yeah. A week from uh, Friday. And uh, so check that out as well. And he'll be on, of course, Tuesday, every Tuesday from 12 to 1 with uh, Todd Torvinen and Bill uh, Kendall. So uh, check him out.